Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with an NXT War Games Instant Analysis Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. We are just minutes removed from the first NXT Network special, not named a takeover, NXT War Games. We are here to break down everything that happened on the show from match results to predictions about the future of NXT. We're going to have grades for you. We got a loaded show for you, and it's late on Sunday night. The Silver King has gone through an absolutely hellacious weekend where I have worked absolutely nonstop. So we are not wasting a second on this special show. We're going to kick it off the way we kick off every episode by reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please, folks, stop making me ask him. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. Write a few kind words. Write us up a nice review. Let people know how much you love this damn show because we sure as hell love you guys, our listeners. Look, it does not take long to write up these reviews. It's a little gift you can give us. Black Friday is already in the past, but the holiday season is upcoming. Your gift to me, a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts to let people know why you love this show, to tell people that you love these instant analysis, that we are one of the few I want to kind of say that the Silver King maybe didn't invent them necessarily, but man, I've been doing them for like four or five years at this point, and I hope you guys are loving them. And as I say, I always read the five-star reviews on this show so quickly from Camp Calhoun, five-star review November 27th, can't live without this pod, easily the best wrestling pod around, the amount of quality content Adam pumps out is unreal. When you listen, I feel like I'm 12 years old at my house with my buddies, eating dominoes, playing No Mercy, and waiting for a pay-per-view to start. Let's get something clear. Pizza Hut is the superior fast food pizza to Domino's. These guys make talking wrestling fun and effortless, which we could use more of these days. Thank you very much for those kind words. The other thing that you can do, if you want to be nice to the Silver King, you can follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet about wrestling all week long, live during the major TV shows, we also give you guys the opportunity to participate in pre- and post-show polls, which we discuss on this podcast sending questions, DMs that we read on the show. It is an interactive experience here at Getting Over. So the way we normally start these instant analysis shows for anyone who is not a longtime listener, the Silver King, I don't do this every show, only for instant analysis, I crack open a cold one. Problem is, I think I just told you guys I've been working nonstop for the last two days. That is completely accurate. In fact, I am at the tail end right now of a 14-hour workday. So The Silver King, I'm staying away from beer tonight. I know it's a disappointment, but I have a nice, tall, ice-cold glass, or not even a glass, one of these tumblers, an ice-cold tumbler of water, my favorite beverage. I cannot wait to drink it during the show, so excuse me, no beer tonight. Also, no vintage Chris Vanini tonight. He has worked just as long and hard as I have this past week, so he's taking the night off. He will be back, confirmed before the show began. He will be back on Tuesday's show to talk all things WWE. So let's get into the NXT TakeOver Instant Analysis. The way we start the analysis 
is with our pre-show expectation grades. And if you guys remember from the ultimate preview, the Silver King came in, he said a B, right? The card looked solid. It's not a takeover. I didn't think it could potentially reach a higher level like one of those shows, uh, which would be in the A range. Almost every takeover began somewhere in the A range in terms of an expectation. But I thought it would be a good show. So I stuck with a B. And you guys in our Twitter poll, at Getting Overcast, completely agreed with me. 15% of you had an expectation of an A, 68% a B, 11% C, and 6% D to F. Again, I just don't know how you guys, going into almost any pay-per-view, AEW, WWE, NXT, how anyone can think the expectation is that it's going to be a D or F. It's ridiculous. Uh, so look, you average those numbers out. It is a flat B. You guys completely agreed. Expected a good show, not a great show. So let's get into talking about NXT War Games. And then at the end, we can decide whether it was a good, great, or maybe terrible show. We'll have to talk about it at the end. Uh, the way we break down the card when we do the instant analysis, it is the opposite of the ultimate preview. We start with the main event and we talk about the biggest matches as we see fit, as I see fit really, going down the card. Uh, when we do the ultimate preview, of course, we go from the low card all the way to the main event. So because of that, we are starting with the main event of NXT War Games, the men's War Games match, Team Black and Gold, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, and LA Knight against Team 2.0, Braun Breaker, Carmelo Hayes, Grayson Waller, and Tony D'Angelo. This was a long match. Backstage before the match, Ciampa told Gargano it was his night. They were going to celebrate him. Uh, this was the main event. As I said, the heels had the advantage going into the match. Gargano, when he made his entrance, he came out to Rebel Heart. He wore Johnny Takeover gear. And the tights were an amalgamation, a stitching together of all of his old Takeover gears in one. So all of his Marvel-themed Takeover gear that he's worn over the years, all kind of stitched together. Um, and his tights had the logos that he wore on each part of those, each uh, version of those gears, spelling out Johnny Takeover in the back. So exceptionally cool, really perfect. He got a hero's entrance. Uh, he stood on the top rope. He did the thing where he looks into the crowd. He saw Champa. Champa did it right back to him. Very touching moment. Uh, he also got to start the match and he started against Mello, Carmelo Hayes. They tore the house down over five minutes with counters, reversals, and tons of moves off the rope. Gargano ended that like sequence with a springboard sunset flip powerbomb, which was just fantastic. Gargano bled after Waller entered the ring. I think it was a hard way to the nose. Uh, Dunn and Gargano put the rookies in double cross faces, and they kicked the opposite rookie's head in. Trick Williams helped D'Angelo when he entered with tables, kendo sticks. Uh, he tried to get more when he reached under the ring and Dexter Loomis appeared. So Loomis chased him off, turned around, and gave Gargano one, possibly last. Thumbs up. Gargano gave it back to him. And then they separated, basically. Uh, D'Angelo locked the door behind him with a chain and a padlock, and the rookies had a three-on-two advantage in the match. So Knight climbed in from the outside, like literally climbed up the cage. He went on a run. Dunn and Gargano threw him weapons as they murdered 2.0. Dunn tortured Waller's fingers all night. Braun made his entrance, and he was supposed to basically take the uh, bolt cutters from the referees who couldn't open it up and just be so strong that he did it once and it cracked the whole thing open. It just didn't actually work that way. He kept doing it and couldn't really get it caught. You would think that they would have had set up better for him. But man, WWE really needs to learn its lesson. I forgot the pay-per-view, but the match with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens with the handcuff at the bottom of the thing. 
Like, you guys got to figure this shit out. Like, you really, really got to test it or they got to be breakaway or something like that. It was just really, really messy. But eventually they did it. He got it open. They did cut the camera briefly when that was happening. And Braun finally got into the match. When he got in, he cleared house and then Champa entered last with multicolored tights in the NXT 2.0 type of colors with Mr. NXT written on a weight belt that he was wearing. Gargano saved Champa from kendo stick shots by hitting Melo with a crutch, and then he gave the crutch to Champa, a callback, obviously, uh, before they both did a DIY run. The veterans got a beating. They all sat in the middle of the ring between the two rings, looking at each other. They smiled, shrugged, and then went to war, absolutely squashing the rookies into one side of the cage. The fans chanted war games over and over. They also chanted black and yellow or black and gold. I forgot which one it was. They chanted that a lot. Our Gargano uh, ruined Melo. He put him headfirst into a trash can. Knight then hit an avalanche exploder on Waller through a table. And when I say it exploded, the table legitimately exploded. Uh, There was a super duper plex. Knight then hit a BFT on Mello, but D'Angelo was able to break the fall. Braun got murdered into the cage by Knight. He just kept like banging him into it. But D'Angelo stopped as Knight was trying to do a draping BFT on Braun that theoretically would have taken him out of the match. Uh, Champa killed Braun with a trash can, and then he hit an avalanche air raid crash, taking Braun off the top rope into a trash can for a 2.5 count. D'Angelo forced Waller to climb the top of the cage, and he hit his between the legs elbow drop, which just exploded another table, took out LA Knight. Dunn saved the fall. D'Angelo found a crowbar and hit Dunn with it as he was stomping a trash can into Mello. D'Angelo then ripped Dunn's mouthpiece out of his mouth while they were on the top rope and hit his swinging neckbreaker avalanche style from the top rope with the crossbar on Dunn's face. So basically, the 2.0 rookies were eliminating in in storyline one veteran at a time until they were left with DIY as the final two. Braun got Champa with a Frankensteiner DIY, then combined to hit one final beat and Willow's Bell simultaneously on Braun and Waller, plus the double kick to Braun. But Mello pulled the referee's leg to stop a double count. They tried to pin him simultaneously. Then he low-blowed Gargano. Gargano trapped Mello as Champa hit a running knee, which took out both of them because he hit them both in the head. So Gargano basically sacrificed himself for Champa. And then as Champa was going to beat Mello with the fairy tale ending, Braun came out of nowhere, speared them both through a table, and then Braun hit Champa with his power slam finisher and got the one, two, three for the rookies to win. By the way, as I'm saying this, I'm just realizing the guy's name's Braun. It's not. B-R-A-U-N, it's B-R-O-N, but his finisher is also a power slam. So they took Braun Strowman, got rid of him. Now you have Braun Breaker, and he has basically the same finisher and the same first name, same sounding first name. Anyway, uh, this was a hell of a match. Like I literally wrote down here, holy shit, what a match. We got to say off the top that 2.0 held their own. They're still young. They're not as smooth as the veterans. But these guys can freaking go. There's no doubt about it. They, they are exceptionally talented, the four guys, the four rookies who were in this match. Like, you can say they're not ready. You can say that you don't like the direction of the new NXT. Those things I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you about. But there are four pieces right there in the ring where you say, yes, WWE has found a couple dudes um, that they can really elevate into main eventers, you know two, three, four, five years down the line, and then have them, hopefully, they would hope, WWE, for a long period of time, if they can actually develop them well. The rookies winning was predictable. 
Uh, it was also understandable given the direction of 2.0. The crowd did keep chanting black and gold throughout the match, and I couldn't help but feel the same way in reality and in kayfabe. It just felt like, look, it feels like NXT is getting pulled away from its fan base, which is some of the most hardcore wrestling fans that WWE still had. I mean, you guys have listened to me for years now, many of you, and you know that for a long time, NXT was my number one show, my number one brand over AEW, over New Japan, over SmackDown Raw, whatever. I was an NXT guy. And bit by bit, it's getting pulled away. Sometimes because of WWE's fault, sometimes not their fault. Some people are leaving and choosing not to come back. Um, Many call-ups have failed. There's a million things that have happened. Uh, Even NXT's failure can be attributed to seven or eight different things. It's not a singular thing. But as someone who is one of those fans, I just see piece by piece kind of falling away. Now, putting that aside, okay, there were so many great moments here. DIY got a ton of callbacks. There were a ton of fun spots, really hardcore spots, without the match being a spot fest, without them having to reduce themselves to blading, which I don't mind blading on occasion when it's appropriate. But, you know, there's an abundance of it that we have seen recently in matches like this that are not put on by WWE. And to me, it's really overdone. And they didn't have to do it here. In fact, the only color that we got was Gargano legitimately getting his nose busted. And that made that more impactful because it was happenstance, because it was a hard way, because it was not kind of forced onto me. It was a well-told and well-executed story. Um, The veterans were able to basically overcome adversity time and time again until the rookies kind of outsmarted them. They singled them out and Braun was able to take advantage of two really injured guys near the end of the match. Knight was so good that he may have actually won me over. I think maybe forcing this guy into a heel role with his terrible name. We've talked, I hate the name. It's it's never gonna, I'm never gonna like LA Knight as, as a name. But the way they introduced him, not really letting him win anything, he was a loser and he was a heel and he kept repeating the same stuff over and over again. He's really started to like cut different promos and be his own guy. And I think this face turn, and I'm assuming it's temporary, but this face turn really got me to start buying into him, plus his work in the ring. He did a great job in this match. Um, and yes, Vintage Chris Vanini has been a fan of LA Knights for a long time. He's been telling me I would like him. But look, it's like a year now. So I, stu- I stuck to my guns for a long time, but I-, I think he's getting me. I also want to give credit to Waller, uh, Grayson Waller, who I've said on this show numerous times, I hate the gimmick. It's some weird amalgamation of a boxer and basketball player. He wears boxing tights and and sh- and uh, shoes, but he wears football gloves like a wide receiver. He does it between the legs, like dunk, elbow drop. It's just, it's it's a total mess. I have no idea what the guy is going for. Um, but he's been damn good on promos recently and he was really good. I think he was the sneaky MVP of this match because of how much punishment he took. And Melo, of course, as we've mentioned, is clearly gonna be a star. This one was really tough to grade, okay? The finish was pretty perfect. And I think that's going to allow me to curve up the match grade a little bit because it certainly was not this incredible technical wrestling masterpiece. But I will say of all the war games that NXT's put on, it was definitely one of like the top three, I think. I mean, it was really freaking good. So again, it could be in the moment. Maybe I'll look back on it and change. 
but I'm going to say 4.5 stars and an A for this match. I just really couldn't find anything specifically that was wrong with it to downgrade it. And because I like the finish so much, I gave it a little bit of extra credit. Now, let's talk about the finish here because with Champa losing, obviously that's going to set up Braun for another NXT title match, which we've all been dreading. They did announce NXT uh, New Year's Evil for January 4th. So I presume that's where Braun's going to get the match. God forbid he wins the title, you know, or God forbid the feud continues after that. That's another topic for another day. But I think everyone came into this assuming Gargano would get pinned because his contract is reportedly expiring. And it's possible this is the last time we see him in NXT or the last time we see him in WWE period. I believe it's a situation right now similar to Adam Cole where they're offering him a multi-year extension. They want him to uh, resign. And and I guess the idea would be, hey, we're going to bring you up to the main roster. But at least as of right now, as far as we know, according to um, wrestlers uh, who have spoken to, you know, outlets, the PW insiders, the uh, Fightfuls of the world, um, as of right now, no one believes that he has resigned so far with WWE. Now, I will say that after NXT went off the air, Gargano cut like a two-minute promo in front of the crowd. Um, again, it was not aired, but someone uh, taped it and put it on Twitter saying he was beat up and sore and he's always open and honest with fans because uh, he would be nothing without them and he appreciates their love and he loves them right back. And he would tell us what we need to know on Tuesday night. So my expectation, and at least in turn, and I haven't really been given even a chance to think about this because this is an instant analysis, but my expectation is that he says on Tuesday something along the lines of, my wife, Candice LeRae, is pregnant. I'm beat up. I've been doing this nonstop for X amount of time. I'm going to take a break. You guys aren't going to see me for a while. Probably referring to potentially going on paternity leave, stepping away, something like that. However, if he has not signed a contract, then that ending to his story, it could really work one of two ways. One, he returns and maybe shows up on the main roster, winds up on SmackDown or Raw or something like that. By the way, wouldn't it be cool? I know they're not going to do it. I'm just kind of booking the damn territory in my head. But wouldn't it be cool if Vince McMahon this whole time is talking to Austin Theory, realizes he's not mature and brings in Johnny Gargano to be his mentor on Raw? Wouldn't that be awesome? I think it would be. Give me the keys to the book. But anyway, um, so that's one option that he takes four or five months, six months off, however long um, until the baby's born and then, you know, time after. And maybe shows up on WWE or he legitimately steps away maybe takes that same amount of time off uh, and then just shows up in AEW whenever he decides. So there are two different schools of thought on what's going to happen here. I I personally believe for him to cut that promo, for them to give him time to speak to the crowd on Tuesday, unless it the result of that is like an attack and he gets laid out and dismantled and then that's WWE writing him off. If that doesn't happen, then that says to me, maybe he's leaning on or maybe he's decided to stay. And I've said this from the beginning. If I had Gargano's ear, I would tell him to stay. And that is not because I love WWE or NXT and I hate AEW. No, it it doesn't matter. There's a lot of people where it makes a shitload of sense for them to go to AEW. One of those is Kyle O'Reilly. Makes all the sense in the world for him to go there. But with Gargano, he has the opportunity in WWE to fill what is now a currently missing Daniel Bryan role 
on the main roster. He does such a great job working from under, getting the crowd behind him. Obviously, he's incredible in the ring. He's a great character. On the mic, he has such an innate ability to get other people over. And that is what WWE needs more than anything else. We already talked about Candice and how that could play a role. Um, If Johnny was to go over to AEW, I just, I really do not know what is there for him. The roster is absolutely stacked. They're going to add, we know, most likely, who knows, Keith Lee and Swerve and probably Bray Wyatt. I mean, they're, you know, maybe Kevin Owens, maybe Sami Zayn, like they're about to get even more stacked than they already are. And there is no time on television. They get three hours a week for half the roster they have right now. So Gargano for me is really the one guy, Champa would be another, but his contract's not up. He's the one guy in terms of those who have had their choice to leave or stay, who I really absolutely think should stay in WWE. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It would be sad for this to end. Uh, I'm a huge Johnny Gargano fan. I'll follow him and watch him wherever he goes. But with him not being pinned and that post-match speech I just told you about, that allows me to hold out a little bit of hope. Hey, maybe the guy's leaning towards sticking around. Regardless, it was an exceptional main event, as I said, the men's war games. Let's slide into the women's war games match, which opened the show as uh, they normally do. They normally split them up as far apart as they can because too much war games uh, in a row can get a little exhausting. So we had Raquel Gonzalez, Io Shirai, Cora Jade, and Kaylee Ray on one side against Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai on the other side. So this opened the show. The faces had the advantage. KLR Kai, Jade, and Gigi Dolan were the first four. KLR took Kai out with a gory bomb into a trash can with Dolan inside the trash can. Shirai added chairs and trash cans into the ring. Jade took Kai out with a hurricanrana off the ropes between the rings. And then JC Jane slid a table into the ring. Shirai used a trash can lid for Meteoras in all four corners. Then she did a handstand on the top rope falling dropkick. That was a really sick spot. Jade then did an insane sent on off the top of the structure through a table and appeared to separate her shoulder. She was crying, grabbing it, writhing around. The other faces in the ring looked exceptionally concerned. The referees and trainers outside started scurrying to the door to get her. And it was all an epic cell job. Shrai Kayfabe pulled her shoulder back into its socket in the middle of the ring. And she did that as Jade was like trying to crawl out of the ring. I think this was maybe the sell of the year by a 20-year-old rookie. Completely worked me in the moment. 100% got me. Uh, And then she sold the arm and did not use it for the rest of the match. Gonzalez threw Kai into a trash can, literally like stuffed her into one and spun her around. And I legitimately laughed out loud in that moment. There was a double single arm powerbomb by Gonzalez put Kai back in the trash can so Shirai could hit a moonsault onto her. Gonzalez checked on Jade as Mandy Rose entered and taunted her, so the faces protected her with kendo sticks. Jade shocked the heels by kicking out of Mandy's pumped knee. Gonzalez hit Rose with a chingona bomb, and then Jade folded Mandy over, the champion, with one arm for the win. So the champion, Champa and Rose, were pinned in both matches by a rookie. So this match simultaneously... Uh, exceeded my expectations and fell below them. There were some great spots, okay? But they were early in the match and relatively mundane 
outside of Jade Sentana. And I'm not saying that the women need to kill themselves for my entertainment, but we've seen now a couple women's war games matches and steel cage matches in NXT, and not to mention hardcore matches and street fights and all these. And most of them were more hardcore, I guess, than this one was. So I felt it was lacking a little bit in that way. Cora Jade coming back from the shoulder to kick out of Mandy's finisher. I I didn't think that was necessary. And then for her to beat the champion, it was nonsensical. But the finish was also anticlimactic because it was so sudden. Also, at some point, I forget if it was JC Jane or um, Gigi Dolan, one of them brought this huge black duffel bag into the ring. It never got opened and it never got used. Maybe that's where the egg was hiding for safekeeping. I don't know. There was enough goodness in this match for me to go... 3.5 stars and a B, but early on, it had the makings of a potential A War Games match. The storytelling was on point, but the pacing was strange. The finish to me was disappointing. Io Shirai was obviously the star of the match once again. She needs to be on the main roster ASAP. I think this was probably the third best match on the show, and that's not bad. I mean, I think it was, what was it? One, two, three... It was a five match card. So out of five matches, it was the third best match. That's not the worst thing in the world. At the same time, you know, to open the show, it got us excited. It did its job, but it just didn't over deliver where with takeovers and with matches like this, especially with the women, I'm kind of used to it over delivering. So 3.5 stars B, it's not a bad grade, but it just, it fell a little bit below my expectations. Uh, The second best match of the evening is the Tag Team Championship. Uh, Imperium was defending against Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner. So Fabian Eichner caught Wagner in midair and hit a rolling driver. Wagner caught Marcel Bartel and chokeslammed him into Eichner before O'Reilly dropped the flying knee and locked in the heel hook. Eichner broke it with a sick double springboard moonsault. O'Reilly caught Eichner in the guillotine, but just as he was about to tap, he powered out. They traded small package near falls, kicks, clotheslines, and a really good sequence. The faces caught Bartel with high-low, but the referee was delayed in counting, and he was able to kick out. Eichner tried to drill O'Reilly, but instead hit an Escalara frog splash crossbody on Wagner outside before coming back inside and nearly getting submitted twice by O'Reilly until he powered out. Uh, He got out of a triangle choke, and when he did that, he lifted O'Reilly into the air, allowing Bartel to hit the Imperial Bomb and allowing Imperium to retain the titles. Wagner backed off uh, in the ring, giving O'Reilly a moment in the sun. The fans were chanting thank you because, again, this was supposed to be his last match or one of his last matches in NXT uh, because his contract is expiring. But as he was getting cheers, Wagner went to attack him. O'Reilly, though, was too smart. He ducked it, dodged it, hit him with a clothesline, took Wagner out, did the undisputed era signal, and then a crotch chop, and the camera focused on O'Reilly. So, okay, the match... What a freaking banger. Let's talk about that first. Uh, they called it on commentary a technical masterpiece. It was so much more than that. Yes, there was great technique. O'Reilly, Eichner, and Bartel were fantastic. But those three guys were so damn good, they made Wagner look like he fit in, which he absolutely did not fit in at all. There were so many great false finishes, both via pinfall and via submission. Eichner was easily the MVP, and you could make an argument, he was the MVP of the entire NXT War Games, despite not being in a War Games match. The guy is so freaking underrated. 
It is absolutely ridiculous. I loved this match. I don't care that Von Wagner was in it. I went 4.5 stars and an A. I was captivated the entire time. Everything O'Reilly did with Eichner and Bartel, even Wagner when he went on his hot tag run and he just went wild. It was so entertaining top to bottom. And then on top of that, the post-match was super interesting. We know O'Reilly's contract is expiring. We talked about that. So this is either a swerve with him re-signing or much more likely O'Reilly going out on his back to Wagner on TV, given that a couple of segments later on War Games, they announced that they're going to have a steel cage match on Tuesday. So my expectation is Wagner beats O'Reilly in the cage, and that is officially Riley's exit from NXT and WWE. But no matter what, I love that my expectations were subverted here. O'Reilly being screwed by his friends. It's happened so many times in NXT and in his wrestling life that he was put in a situation where he knew it was coming in kayfabe, so he didn't look dumb in the moment. Now, if this was the main roster, he would have gotten clotheslined, the shit kicked out of him, thrown over the barricade. You never see him again. In NXT, they allowed him to have a great match. They lost, but that's okay. And now he's going to go out on his back, most likely Tuesday, and put over a rookie. That's good booking, it's good storytelling, and it's good wrestling, not just in terms of what's happening backstage, but in terms of the performers and the talent and Kyle O'Reilly being a good dude. So this was exceptionally fun. Like I said, the second best match on the show. And we're starting off here with a 4.5, a 4.5, and a 3.5. That is already truly exceeding my expectations for this pay-per-view special event, whatever you want to call it, as a whole. However, there were two more matches. So let's talk about those. Uh, The first was Cameron Grimes against Duke Hudson in a hair versus hair match. Hudson dominated early. Grimes hit his Spanish crossbody for a near fall. Hudson tried to cheat using the ropes for a pinfall, but the referee caught him. Grimes hit a poison rana and flying crossbody for a near fall, but Hudson got one after a boss man slam. Grimes countered a razor's edge into a huracarana and then used his momentum to fold Hudson over with a huge handful of tights for the win. Grimes tried to make Hudson pay by getting on the chair, getting his head shaved, but Hudson just clotheslined him. So Grimes got up and hit the cave-in, put Hudson in the chair, grabbed the clippers, and shaved the top of his head until Hudson woke up and ran away. So there was nothing wrong with this, but it came right after the crazy tag team match I just told you about, and it completely failed to captivate in the same way. I've said it numerous times. I like Grimes a lot. I like Hudson okay. Uh, His gimmick sucks, but that he's talented in the ring, and these two should have had a better match. The wrestling was just okay. The post-match I thought was going to be more eventful. It all worked, but this was very much like a TV main event. This had no business being on a special event. I, I want to call this a takeover. It's not a takeover. If it had been a takeover, you know what? I probably would have graded this lower than I actually did because I did respect the work and the effort here. But this was one of two consecutive matches on the card that just didn't belong on War Games. It didn't belong on the equivalent of pay-per-view. I went three stars and a B minus. It's not a bad grade, but at the same time, it just wasn't anything special. And then lastly, the Cruiserweight Championship, Roderick Strong against Joe Gacy. Gacy, by the way, is billed at 245 pounds. So hopefully you guys know the storyline was basically, uh, you know, he's in, he wants everyone to be inclusive. His goal was to win the title and open it up to all comers. And Strong obviously wanted to re- it to remain a Cruiserweight title. Uh, so Diamond Mine and Harland were at ringside. Strong dominated. Gacy kicked out of a superplex and escaped the stronghold, countering it into a crossface for like one second. Gacy then hit a corkscrew tope, 
And I thought that Julius Creed legitimately hurt his knee on the landing. I'm not 100% sure because he was standing up later and looked like he was maybe okay. Uh, Ivy Nile stepped to Gacy, but was lifted into the air by Harlan. Gacy convinced him to put her down. Then he powerbombed Strong in the ring, only to quickly eat a jumping knee and a backbreaker as Strong retained the title. So what I appreciated most is despite there being a lot of people at ringside, there wasn't any interference. Strong losing would have been a mistake, and they avoided that as well by booking him to win. It was also a nice showing for Gacy. The guy's got a lot of potential. I've said it, I say it all the time with him. He's not going to reach that potential with this gimmick, but he can still take this probably a bit further than other people could. This just wasn't anything special or noteworthy. Again, I know it's not a takeover, but this is not worthy of being on a card like this. They should have just given a real cruiserweight or someone with sick wrestling talent the ability to just tear the house down with Strong. That's all people really want to see with Roddy. He's that good in the ring. So I wish that's what they had done instead. I'm going to say 2.75 stars and a C plus. There was enough to make it slightly better than average, but it really was just an average match. Nothing special. And then lastly here, I did miss all the vignettes on the show because I guess I have the Peacock version. That's not the $10 version. It's the $5 version. So I have all the commercials. So there were a bunch of vignettes. I think most of them were ones that already aired on NXT TV. But apparently it's a good thing I missed them because there was one with Ikaminjiro in which I'm told he was literally on the toilet taking a shit. And man, WWE is just in a constant, endless struggle to succeed with comedy. I don't even need to see this to know it sucked. I will see it. I'll make sure I see it before Tuesday's WWE show. But man, when they try to do stuff like that, it is just so absolutely painful to watch them try to do comedy. Sometimes they they get it. Sometimes they do. Most times they just really don't. And this is an example of that. So that is our NXT War Games Incident Analysis. The last part of the show here is our post-show grade. So normally I, you know, read what you guys thought in our post-show poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I let Chris go and then I give my grade. Well, Chris isn't here. So of course I'm going to go with your grade and then I will discuss mine. I am slightly shocked, I have to say, by the results of this poll. 41% of you thought this was an A event. 51.3% of you thought it was a B. So 92% are in the A to B range, 5.1 said a C, 2.6 D to F. Again, no idea where that D to F comes in. I don't know how there's enough people to even get to 2.6% at a D to F. Uh, As far as the C's at 5%, I can see not necessarily loving that, especially if you don't like this new era of NXT. I can understand. But man, if you really watch that show with an open mind and and, you you listen to this podcast, um, yes, A and B, either of those grades is completely acceptable. For me, oh, so let me me discuss an average here. So... uh, Man, with slightly more Bs than As, that's a really high percentage of As, man. So this is either an A minus or a B plus. So let's just say that's what it is. Um, I think it's an A minus. I do, uh, based on the averages here. In fact, it just ticked up to forty three percent. So yes, A minus is what you guys thought this show was. I look at it and I struggle a little bit because from a match quality standpoint if I was to add up all of my grades and average them out, I would probably be right around 4.0. 
But at the same time, two of the matches I thought were complete throwaways. And the women's match did fall below my expectations. So half the card was a throwaway. And, and then one of the match I was kind of iffy about. So I'm, I'm tough. I'm right in that same range, the A minus uh, B plus range. I guess because there were two matches that really tore the house down, I, I kind of want to give them credit for putting on a damn good show. Um, the men's war game main event, the main event matters. It, it always matters the most. And they did book the show well, even though I prefer a show going from low card to main event, you can't really do that when you have war games. I think the only difference for me is I would have taken the tag team match and put it in the penultimate spot as opposed to in the second spot. But they did put those matches together, the women's war games in the tag. They did put the men's main event at the end. And those three were the best matches on the show without question. So I think I'm going to slide right in. I'm really on the border, just like you guys. I think I'm going to say 4.0, basically, and an A-. minus. Um, it's definitely not an A show. It's, for me, definitely not a B show. So whether you're an A minus or a B plus, it's it's right in that range. I found it to be exceptionally entertaining. If every one of these new NXT special events, the non-takeover events, are as good as this, then NXT is going to be better off than we thought it was going to be, at least from a special event standpoint. Maybe the TV show is not for you, but the events can still be something that you watch. This is totally good, totally worth watching. If if you are listening to this podcast and deciding, should I watch War Games?, I'd watch the first two matches and then I'd fast forward to the last one. And I think you're still going to get like a 90 minute show and you're going to be thoroughly entertained by it. So you guys are at an A minus. I'm with you. I agree it was an A minus. And we both had the same pre-show expectation grade at B. And that to me says that takeover or not takeover. Sorry, (laughs) I keep doing that. Uh, NXT War Games 2021. It was a successful show. Now it is a little bit strange, I will say, to be taping this podcast and not have to go jump on a Paul Levesque post-show teleconference, which is what I would normally do. I'd ask him some questions about the show and things like that. To not see him, to not see William Regal talking war games. There was a lot of that type of stuff um, missing. You know, the stuff that we get excited about when it comes to NXT. And and look, look, candidly, it seems like a lot of that's gone, right? But the future, I don't want to say the future is bright in terms of NXT, but I think there is talent in this new NXT that is clearly going to be the future of WWE. Then again, we thought that was going to be the case with this insane crop of talent that Triple H brought in, and yet, you know, they didn't really get used in that way. And it's one thing to say, okay, well, some of those people are older. You know, what about Swerve? What about Ember Moon? You know, what about some of these other women that have been released recently that you know can go on the main roster? Didn't even get opportunities. Hit row as an entire faction. I don't want to get into that whole thing. My point is, um, there does seem to be some talent sitting there in NXT, and hopefully WWE is able to cultivate it. And also, hopefully, they don't rush it up to the main roster too soon. But TakeOver was a successful show. Now, before we get out of here, uh, there is some news that transpired. Um, It has to do with WWE. It happened right after NXT went off the air. We are going to discuss this extensively on Tuesday show, but because we taped this podcast and it is an instant analysis and live things happen, I'm just going to go ahead and read you this report here. Coming from PW Insider, the report has been confirmed uh, by Fightful. So there's two people, I guess, reporting uh, the same thing. Uh, WWE star Jeff Hardy, this is PW Insider, 
was not at tonight's live event in Corpus Christi at the American Bank Center. And word making the rounds at the event was that Hardy has been sent home from the road. Hardy teamed with Xavier Woods and Drew McIntyre against the Bloodline last night in Edinburgh, Texas for the main event of a super show. Hardy spent most of the match inside the ring being worked over by Roman and the Usos and apparently becoming more sluggish as the match continued. Once he made a hot tag to McIntyre, Hardy disappeared into the crowd and didn't even return to the ring for the post-match celebration with his partners. We're told that instead, Hardy went into the crowd, followed by security immediately after tagging out. And then he was replaced in the Corpus Christi show by Rey Mysterio. He wasn't backstage. And they're also saying he was last on SmackDown last week on Friday. Right, we knew that. So, um, and then just to follow up here with what Fightful had to say, uh, unfortunately can confirm PW Insider's report. Jeff Hardy was sent home after what was called a, quote, rough night for him. And that became evident as the match went on. So look, we're not going to speculate here. Uh, We know, we do know, it's been made clear that Jeff Hardy throughout his career um, has demons and things have happened. Let's hope, beyond hope, that that has nothing to do with this. That it is something else and it is something else he's able to bounce back from. Um, Jeff, you know, I think we have wanted him to do better and do a little bit more in WWE since he returned, especially since Matt left and went over to AEW. And it really started to seem like with them putting him on SmackDown and featuring him alongside Drew McIntyre, uh, possibly setting him up to be a Roman Reigns opponent coming down the line in a main event spot, it really seemed like that was really going to start to happen again for him. So let's hope this is a bump in the road and not something more serious. Uh, We do not know any facts or any details right now. We will discuss it further on Tuesday's show when Vintage Chris Vanini will join me to talk about the week in WWE. We'll talk about SmackDown, we'll talk about Raw, and we'll certainly talk about this incident involving Jeff Hardy as we learn more. Um, But I did want to say that before the show is out. Best wishes from us to Jeff if he needs them, if they're appropriate. Um, And like I said, we will revisit this in a couple of days. But for now, let me just thank you all for listening uh, to our NXT War Games 2021 instant analysis. If you want to say thank you, it's really easy. All you need to do is remember that you're getting over wrestling podcast. So please. Okay, that was not the sound drop I mean meant to play, but you can ask Vince. I doubt Vince listens to the show. If he did, I think he might like it, although a lot of times it's really just us kind of saying he's making some pretty dumb decisions. Anyway, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review, let people know how much you love the show, tell them why you listen, tell them about the instant analysis, leave a five-star rating and review, we will read it on the show. I don't know what else to tell you at this point. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast so you can participate in these polls, so you can send us DMs and questions for the show, and so you can interact with us talking wrestling all week long on Twitter. As I said, Tuesday show, talking all things WWE, SmackDown, Raw, the Jeff Hardy incident, and anything else that pops up. And then we will be back on Thursday next week to talk NXT and AEW. Now, I will consider doing a special NXT episode uh, Wednesday morning. If something happens with Kyle O'Reilly and Johnny Gargano on Tuesday that is so newsworthy uh, or re-signing or something crazy happens that we need to discuss it on the show. As of right now, the plan is to do our NXT and AEW show on Thursday as usual. 
So I appreciate all of you listening, joining me for the NXT Workings Instant Analysis. And with that, the Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.